So yes, the verse is on the screen, but if you would turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and follow along with me, I'm going to read the text again. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. These two verses introduce us to the nature and work of God in the lives of His saints. The nature and work of God in the lives of His saints. The reader of the first three verses in Ephesians chapter 2 knows that the human condition is desperate, helpless, and miserable indeed. Sin and death reigns. The Apostle Paul begins, and you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You followed the way of the world. You followed the devil. And you followed after your own desires, the desires of your flesh. But it is here in verse 4 that we learn the richness of God's mercy. And we learn the greatness of His love. And in verse 5, the necessity of His grace. Within the first two words of our text, all of the Christian's hope is found. But God. But God has purpose to reveal His mercy. He has purpose to save His people from their state of sin and misery. morning we're going to first consider the fact of his mercy when God enters into the Christian's life and story we learn that God is rich in mercy the apostle writes but God being rich in mercy this truth is a marvelous fact. We are here reminded that God in His very nature and His very essence is merciful towards His people. Mercy is compassion. Mercy is that kindness and pity that offers pardon and forgiveness to the sinner and aid to the helpless. Let me say that again. Mercy is that kindness and pity that offers pardon and forgiveness to the sinner and aid to the helpless. When we look upon someone with a need that is greater than our own and we have pity upon them and desire to come to their aid, that is mercy. 
God's mercy is that much greater than any mercy that we might have towards those that are less fortunate than ourselves. God is not merely merciful. He is exceedingly rich. He is wealthy with mercy. That is to say that God does not have only a little bit of mercy or a little kindness to offer to the undeserving. No, His mercies are so abundant They cannot be contained. There are not enough warehouses in this world to store the compassion and pity of God towards His creatures. Do you believe that? That God is rich in mercy. That if there is anything that He is wealthy in, it is His kindness towards the undeserving. This is good news. God has mercy in abundance. Pardon in abundance. The fact of God's mercy is a great comfort. But how then does He act in His mercy? How does He express His mercy? Does God store it up and hide it away? Are His riches and kindness hidden for only those strong enough to wrestle it from Him? Or wise enough to seek it in some hidden place far away? No. God is not stingy with His mercy. He is no miser. He is lavish with forgiveness and He gives more grace. The prophet Jeremiah had a hard life. One of the hardest of the prophets. He spoke to hard-hearted, stubborn people. And the city of Jerusalem was destroyed for its wickedness. But when Jeremiah laments the destruction of Jerusalem, do you remember what he said in the middle of his grief in Lamentations chapter 3? Let me remind us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. God's riches and mercy are poured out. towards the sin of His people, offered in times of trial. This great fact of the mercy of God is amazing to reflect on. But do you still perhaps doubt You wonder, can God, is is His mercy really here with me today in this? In this suffering? In my sin today? Paul continues. He opens up for us the mercy of God. He allows us a glimpse into the storehouses of His mercy. 
And he tells us God's motivation for acting in mercy. He says, because of His great love with which He loved us. Because of His great love with which He loved us. The word translated because of tells us the cause or the motivation for God acting in mercy. Why would He do this? Why would He be so gracious? Because of His great love. The motivation for God acting to save is not anything in us. We are dead in sins apart from His mercy. The motivation is God's free and sovereign choice to love. To love sinners. The mercy of God flows like a tributary. It flows like a stream flowing towards sinners from the great river of His love. Upstream of God's compassion and forgiveness is His love. His great love. What do we learn of the love of God? We learn firstly that this love belongs to Him. It is His love. It comes from Him. He is the source of this love. Regrettably, the the ESV from which we are memorizing Ephesians chapter 2 passes over this. They miss this and instead translate because of the great love. You can see it on the screen. Now, clearly, it is referring to the love of God there. Even in the ESV and in any translation. This is the love of God. But what that little word is getting at, His great love, is that God Himself is the source. It's not outside of Him that God looks to, to love, but from Himself He loves. And this love of God, this love is great. This is not the love of man. Human love is like a stream that dries up when the sun burns hot and turns to ice when the weather gets cold. But the love of God is as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. Psalm 103, verse 11. The love of God is great indeed and the extent of God's mercy and love is so great the Apostle tells us how it is great. He shows us in verse 5 
You see, God loved His people. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. This is us. This is our part. Born in sin on the road to eternal destruction. Brothers and sisters, you must not forget this. That the Christian story begins dead through trespasses and sins. That is your life. Apart from the mercy of God. This is where it would end. All of us, children of wrath like the rest of mankind, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. We resided, as it were, in the city of destruction. And as citizens of the city of destruction, what we deserved was the wrath of God. But God demonstrated His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Romans 5 verse 8, Christ died for us. You see, that verse makes explicit there in Romans 5 verse 8, how does God express His great love? In Ephesians chapter 2, we are being introduced to the fact of His mercy, to the reality of His great love. The Apostle, in his letter to the Romans, the Roman church, Romans 5 verse 8 says that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were His enemies. Christ died for sinners. The extent of God's mercy And the abundance of His love is so great that though we were dead in our sins, God in His great love acted in mercy and grace. Now what is it that this mercy, this grace, this love produces within us? What does God do through the work of Jesus Christ who the Scripture says died for our sins? And was buried according to the scriptures. And rose again on the third day. The work of his mercy is this. That God made us alive together with Christ. We're in verse 5 of Ephesians 2. God made us alive together with Christ. Where we were dead where we were helpless, where we deserved wrath. This word, or this phrase, made us alive together with Christ. This is a new word coined by Paul to express the new life the believer has by association with Christ. The word there that's made alive together with Christ is a combination of the verb made us alive and the preposition with. So made us alive together with. And then you have the word 
with, with Christ. This isn't a word that's found anywhere in classical Greek literature. Paul uses it here to express this glorious truth. He will use it again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, where he again makes the connection between our Christ dying and rising and our dying to sin and being raised to new life. The work of God's mercy is this, that He quickens, that He makes alive or regenerates those who believe in Christ. This is God's work. Every time except once that this verb to make alive appears in the Scriptures, this making alive is the work of one of of the Father, of the Son, or the Holy Spirit. The triune God is the one who makes alive. God alone can bring the dead to life. Only He can bring about life where death reigns. This great union with Christ. This is the work of the Spirit of God. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, It is the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit who gives life. John 6, 63. The flesh is no help at all. What is Jesus saying? You cannot raise yourself. You cannot make yourself alive to the things of God. You cannot be born again in and of yourself. We cannot produce new life within any more than we can keep our bodies from decaying and dying. But the Spirit, but God, can produce new life within. A new disposition. Disposition is, is that which drives you. So it drives us. One's desires, one's will. Our disposition directs how we think and choose and talk and act. We commonly use the word heart. We talk about God giving us a new heart. This is what the prophet Ezekiel declared. He declared a day when God would do this very thing. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 beginning in verse 25. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28. And I want you to notice two words. I will. I will. And 
Notice how often that comes up. And who it is who is speaking. This is the Lord God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. And this is what he says. Ezekiel um, 36. And uh, looks like... I'm not sure what happened there. I have my scriptures in the notes usually. But it looks like it's copy and pasted wrong. So we're going to turn myself here. Okay. Verse 25 of Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now God goes on to speak of other things, how he will deliver them, how he will give them what they need and increase the fruit of their crops. Verse 32, it is not for your sake that I will act, God says. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. God is acting, in other words, not because of his people. Not because of anything in them, but because of His love, because of His choosing, because of His mercy. This life-giving, regenerating, creative activity of the Spirit of God, this is the mercy of God in action. This is what God does. How He begins to pour out His mercy in the lives of His people. And this, God's making us alive with Christ is the only reason that the Christian is different from the rest of mankind. This fact ought to humble us that it is not of ourselves. We are saved by grace. That it is not you or I who is worthy but it is Christ. For it is only with Him. It is only because He Himself died in our place and then was raised to life that we have hope. Any hope of life. Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. John 14, verse 19. 
Because I live, you also will live. That's the only reason that we can lay claim to this newness of life and continue to walk in that. To walk in the mercy of God. But as sure as Christ, our Lord and Savior, is alive, so we too now live. And we are given the grace to walk in godliness where before we walked in iniquity. And to walk in holiness where before we walked in hatred towards God. That new heart, that heart of flesh that Ezekiel spoke about, is a heart that is soft towards God and His ways, that is God-directed. That is seeking to please God now. This is what the Spirit of God works in us. This is His mercy in our lives. Now Paul will go on to speak in exalted terms of our position with Christ. This is the first of three with Christ verbs. How we will be not only made alive, but we will ride. We have risen with Him and are seated with Him. We will discuss that more next month when we continue Paul's thoughts. But before the apostle gets there, we have the last phrase that we're going to consider this morning. Before Paul can even move on to the next verb, he has to stop. It's as though he's, he's so overcome with the kindness of God that he has to say this, by grace you have been saved. Here is something that Paul just had to add. The Spirit of God within him interjected this word. By grace, you have been saved. We're very familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and rightfully so, but Paul couldn't wait. This thought was too important. He says, by grace you have been saved. At the end of verse 5. You see, the basis upon which God acts is this. That we are saved by grace. By grace. That is, by means of the undeserved favor of God. So highlighting, we didn't deserve this. Mercy highlights that too. By grace, you, that is those whose faith are in Christ. If your faith is in Christ, that is you. By grace, you have been saved. Paul writes, you have been saved here in the perfect tense. The perfect tense alerts us to the completeness of this salvation. The completeness 
of the salvation. Or the completion, rather. We translate the perfect tense in English with the words have been. Have been. Signifying a past action. This is accomplished. This is complete. And it has continuing results in the present. This past accomplished fact has implications for you today. Here is what this means. Our deliverance from the power and wages of sin is accomplished. It is accomplished by the grace of God, Paul tells us. And that grace, that love we saw in Romans chapter 5 is demonstrated that in that Christ died in the place of us while we were yet sinners. It is accomplished. And it is accomplished not because of us. It is accomplished because of His kindness. Because of His favor. Totally undeserved. And though we, though we wait the full experience of this, the day when there will be no more sickness, no more sin, no more sorrow, this work is as sure and accomplished as Christ has died and risen again. Now we must not miss the implications of this for our lives today. That the believer has been saved means what? It means that you are now saved. And will continue to be safe in the hands of a gracious God. The riches of God's mercy means that it doesn't run out day two, day 1000, but continues every day of your life. Our present position, rooted as it is in God's mercy and His grace, is demonstrated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So look to Him. When you see Him, when you see the power of God that was at work in Christ to raise Him from the dead, that now is the power that is at work. The grace of God that is at work in the lives of those who believe. And it is that for which Paul prays at the close of chapter 1. Before he reminds us of these great truths. He prays that we would know the greatness of the power of God toward those who believe. Brothers and sisters, how often do you find yourself thinking of the mercy of God? How often 
do you acknowledge, I am unworthy. I am unworthy of God's kindness toward me. It's not because of me. I was dead in sin. How often do you, reflecting on that fact, reflecting on how unworthy you are, how often do you turn then and thank the Lord for His mercy? You turn to Him yet again for pardon and forgiveness. Confessing your sins and acknowledging and believing and rejoicing in the forgiveness that He brings about through Jesus Christ. You know, the fact of the mercy of God is something that should bring us to our knees. The mercy of God is the only thing that separates the converted from the unconverted. The Christian from the damned. Not one day should go by that we don't think of the riches of His mercy and marvel. Marvel that He would so love someone as unworthy as I. I think of the Apostle Paul who said, I thank God. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, God's given me strength. Jesus has given me strength. Because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Paul hated the works of God. He was opposed to God's work. But I received mercy. And here Paul speaks of a kind of ignorance in which he acted because he did not believe. That was his sin. He did not believe that what he saw in the lives of the disciples in the ministry of Jesus Christ was of God. He did not believe in the Messiah. And he says, 1 Timothy 1.14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It was overflowing. It overwhelmed him. Then he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance among you. This was something that Timothy was to take to heart. Paul said that Christ came into the world to save sinners of which I am the foremost. And no matter how much we want to get around it, Paul speaks of himself in the present. I am the foremost of sinners apart from the grace and the mercy of God. Can you say that? It's those who recognize how unworthy we are, that what is produced then? What is produced then when we reflect on the mercy of God? 
humility. I don't deserve this. So I'm going to serve. I'm going to love with the love that God has shown me. Paul was a man who did not see anyone as out of reach of the mercy of God. Because he knew the mercy of God in his own life. Produces joy and faithfulness and peace. When our confidence is in the work of the Spirit in our hearts and not in our own doing. There's freedom. There is joy. There is hope in this. The mercy of God. Is that your experience? That you have tasted and seen of the goodness of God towards you. Some of you listening may have no patience for such talk of sin and mercy, the mercy of God. You have made up your minds that you're not in need of mercy. That is a terrible place to be. But God is yet patient. His Spirit is at work. Today is yet another opportunity to repent and believe in Christ. To recognize and to acknowledge your unworthiness and your sin. And the mercy of God that Christ died for sinners. Perhaps others of you may think in your hearts, this sounds too good to be true. How can, I, how can I be sure? How can I really truly believe this? That God really is merciful towards someone like me. You say, I've sinned for so long and so deeply. I'm a great sinner. You have not seen my life. I turned my back on Christ. I am not worthy to receive mercy. Friend, that is precisely the point of Paul's writing. You are not worthy. And he must remind the believer of this also. For we so often forget. But there is none too wicked. There is none too vile or too helpless that God cannot save. Salvation is not based upon you, but upon the undeserved kindness of God. And this love was once for all demonstrated when Christ was crucified for the sins of the world and rose again from the dead. You doubt His mercy and His love. Look to Christ. Consider what 
He has done. And all that is required of you is that you would receive the mercy of God with empty hands. That you would be open and honest and confess your unworthiness. Bring your sin to the light and trust not within yourself, but in the kindness of God. Cast yourself on Him and He will hold you up. No sin is so great that God's mercy is not greater. And brothers and sisters, you who believe in Christ, no trial is so hard that God's love cannot keep you. Think. If Christ's love is so great that He would die for you while you were yet a sinner, if God did not spare His own Son, how will He not also freely give you all things? All that you need for life and for godliness. Do you think there is no way out of your trouble? You feel as though you have no answer to your prayers. Remember that your God is rich in mercy. He who has put his spirit within you, who has made you alive, will not abandon you or leave you without a way of escape. Think on the riches of the mercy of God. Pour it out. Through Christ Jesus. This week. Think about it every day. For His mercies don't run out. They don't run dry. He is so faithful. His mercies are new. Every morning. Amen.